Take your Bibles, let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 33 this evening. Counting this evening, I believe we have six kings left um, uh, to cover in this series of messages of the kings of Israel and Judah. And tonight we're going to look at a character named Manasseh in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. We also learn about him in 2 Kings chapter 21, but we'll we'll, uh, look primarily here in 2 Chronicles 33 this evening as we can uh, consider this man. You've ever heard the phrase or the, 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 the saying, uh, too little, too late? You know what I'm talking about? Familiar with that? Apparently not with God. Because when you consider the life of Manasseh, uh, you would think that uh, he would not, this is a, a wicked, wicked man, a wicked king. And yet at the very end we see him repent and God forgives him. And God uh, works in this man's life, and it appears to be a true conversion. Uh, but uh, So an interesting account with him. We'll look at several thoughts about him, and I'm grateful for God's grace. It truly is amazing. Uh, let's read Second Chronicles 33. We'll read all 20 verses that contain the, the, uh, the information about Manasseh. Starting in verse 1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned fifty and five years in Jerusalem. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he built again the high places which Hezekiah, that's his father, who was a good king, which Hezekiah his father had broken down, and he reared up altars of Balaam, and made groves, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, whereof the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for the host of heaven and in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with familiar spirits and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. Neither will I any more remove the foot of Israel from out of the land which I have appointed for your fathers, so that they will take, will take heed to do all that I have commanded them, according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Wherefore the Lord brought upon them captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before God, the God of his fathers, and prayed unto him. And he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he, was God. After this, he built a wall without the city of David on the west side of Gihon, 
in the valley, even to the entering in of the fish gate, encompassed about Ophii, and raised it up a very great height, and put captains of war in all the fenced cities of Judah. He took away the strange gods and the idol out of the house of the Lord, and the altars that had built in the mount of, Jeru of the house of the Lord, and in Jerusalem, and the cast them out of the city. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, and sacrificed thereon peace offerings, and thanks thank offerings, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people did sacrifice still in the high places, yet unto the Lord their God only. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer unto his God, and the words of the seers that spake to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel, his prayer also, and how God was entreated of him in all his sin and his trespass and the places wherein he built his places, and he set up groves and graven images before he was humbled. Behold, they are written among the sayings of the seers. So Manasseh slept with his fathers, and they buried him in his own house. And Ammon, his son, reigned in his stead. Let me mention a few, I guess, some intriguing thoughts for me this evening about Manasseh. Uh, first of all, he was the king that had the longest reign of any king in Israel or Judah. 55 years, uh, and certainly not based upon his goodness or the, the fact that he was a good king, but for whatever reason, he was the longest reigning king in Judah or, uh, and in the nation of Israel. If you recall, he had a good father, a godly father, whose name was Hezekiah. Turn back to uh, 2 Kings, if you will, chapter number 18, and let's just read a little bit about this man, Hezekiah who is the father of, 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 of Manasseh. Look at verse number 1. It says, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was, was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was, also was Abai the daughter of Zechariah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto, uh, for unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Neheshatan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. He's got a godly father named Hezekiah, and uh, we think that perhaps he had a godly mother. Look at 2 Kings 21, verse number 1. We don't know a lot about her other than her name, but... It says in 21.1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hephzibah. And so here we have this, this mother named Hephzibah, and that means my delight is in her. And oftentimes the character of an individual was, was played out in their name, and so for that reason we believe not only did he have a godly father, but quite possibly a godly mother. It is disheartening when we see any child walk away from God and, and um, 
uh, choose to go a wrong path, but it's far more unlikely that that would happen when there is a godly father and a godly mother involved in their lives. But obviously that's not impossible. And this was the case here with this man, Manasseh. Um, Manasseh is listed as a king that did evil in the sight of the Lord. In fact, we see it there in, in both 2 Kings and in uh, 2 Chronicles. Perhaps he is the worst of all the kings of Judah. Uh, there's uh, just some horrific things about him. We're there in 2 Kings. Look at verse number 6 of chapter 21. And just notice some of the things that, that Manasseh was involved in. He made his son pass through the fire. We've talked about this, but there were some pagans in the area there that would sacrifice their children and would allow their children to go through various rituals that they would either sacrifice them to their, to their false gods or allow them to be passed through the fire which would take them through this. And sometimes it did not kill their children, but it injured their children. It was certainly in a wicked practice. And he is practicing that. Uh, again, it says in verse number, uh, excuse me, verse number six, and he made his son pass through the fire and observed times and used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He set a graven image in the grove of the grove that he had made in the house which the Lord said to David and to Solomon, his son, in his house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Uh, look with me to verse number, uh, verse number 9. But they hearkened not, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than, they did, than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. If you go down to verse number 12, Therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such an evil on Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. All of that is in reference because of the, the great and wicked lifestyle that Manasseh was living. God said, I'm going to bring such judgment upon this nation and upon this people that it will make both of your ears tingle. He was involved in the worship of Baal, uh, the worship of Asherah. He was involved in the worship of Moloch, this one that, where they passed their children through the fire. He worshipped the stars. He was involved in sorcery, divination. He consulted with mediums and spirits to speak to the dead. He placed an idol in the temple of God. This is a wicked, wicked king, King Manasseh. And because of that, he faces the judgment of God. 2 Chronicles 33, 11 again says, Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. Verse 12 describes him in his affliction. And so he faces the judgment of God and God uses the Assyrians to bring this man into captivity, carries him away from Jerusalem. He's in bondage. And it is there that this man repents. This is there during this time of chastisement, during this time of affliction that was being placed upon him through the Assyrians, but from God that causes him to repent. And the Lord hears him. 
Verse 12 and 13 again, and when he was in his affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him and he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem. Now, After reading 2 Kings 21 and 2 Chronicles 33 and the way that this man lives, I think the most amazing part of this account is not how wicked Manasseh is but how good God is. Amen. It amazes me. Yesterday, I guess it was, in our Bible Institute class, we were going over the attributes of God and some of, some of the attributes of God. And, and I think all, there was just three of us in that classroom yesterday, and I think all three of us were having a little bit of a, a moment there realizing how good God has been in our lives as we rehearsed that, as we discussed that, as we talked about the goodness of God. And here's a man about as wicked as you can imagine, about as far away from God as you can imagine, and yet he humbled himself. You think about some of the most wicked men of our day, that if they would have humbled themselves and they would have called to God, God would hear them. God would respond. The Sodom Husseins and the, the Hitlers of this, of this era, the, those type of people that God would still. And so it amazes me of how good God is. I'm going to share with you four quick thoughts this evening uh, from this, this thought here of, of Manasseh and his wickedness and God's goodness. And the first thing I want us to see this evening, none of us, None of us are good enough in ourselves to earn salvation, to earn a deliverance. Isaiah chapter 64, verse number 6 says, All our righteousness is as filthy rags. Now, I don't think there's anybody in here this evening that would say, that would qualify as being as wicked as Manasseh. But it doesn't make anybody in here good enough to be right before God. The good things that we do turn out to be just uh, uh, filthy rags before the Lord. It's unfortunate there are a lot of good people out there that will never, never enter into heaven one day. Good, moral people. People that, that mean well. Again, I think I believe I've shared this here with you. I just recently was in western Pennsylvania back in August to, the little church I pastored there and uh, was going through the town there and reminiscing about our time there from 2002 to 2010 and past this little street named Chestnut Street there, downtown Emlinton, Pennsylvania. And my mind went to a house down there, maybe a quarter mile down that road, where I encountered a, an elderly lady one day on a Saturday visitation, Saturday morning visitation. Knocked on her door and she came out of the door and, and began a conversation with her. And asked her about church and if she went to church anywhere and she pointed across the street to the Catholic church across the road. She goes, I've been living in this house all my life. My parents owned this house and they left it to me. I've lived here all my life and I've gone there all my life and I'll go to no other church. I said, that's Okay. And I began to talk to her about her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what I believed and what I thought to be true was true. She was depending on her goodness, her works, her religion to get her to heaven. And no matter what I could show her in the Bible that day, 
about what God says what a person must do and what she really was. I could not get her away from that false religion and that false hope that she had. And as I walked away from there that day, I realized that here is a good lady that probably was, in a lot of ways, better than I am without Christ. And she'll spend an eternity in hell. When we were home there, I talked to some folks that were out of our church that live on that road, and she has passed away. And unless something changed in her life over those, between that time I talked to her and her death, of where she humbled herself and turned to Christ and Christ alone, that lady's in hell today. And that's a, that's a shocking and a, and a disturbing thought, but again, our righteousness, our goodness is never good enough. We must trust in the goodness of Jesus Christ. So none of us are good enough in ourselves. Number two, none of us are bad enough that we can't be saved. Again, here's this example of Manasseh, this man that was as wicked as they come, and yet he turned himself, he humbled himself, and the Lord saved him. Again, just thinking back and some of my experiences through the years dealt with a man that had had a terrible, terrible past by the time I met him. When I met him, he had tried to start changing his life, but he had had struggles with alcohol. He had struggles with a temper. He had struggles with his family. He had struggles in relationships. When I met him, he had a long list of issues in his past. And um, he started coming to our church and, and would come regularly. And, and every Sunday he would raise his hand to pray for him. He's not saved. And I would do that faithfully throughout the week. He started coming to our men's prayer meetings. I remember I asked him to come and pray with me or be a part of my prayer group one time, and I asked him if he wanted to pray. And he says, he says Preacher, I've never really prayed before. And I said, well, I said, just talk to God. And he did, and I don't think he meant this in a disrespectful way at all. He bowed his head, he says, God, I guess you know who this is. And then he says, you might be surprised who this is. He goes, you know, I've had a hard time talking to you through the years. And he just had this conversation, and he recognized of how far away he was from God. Remember, we had him over our house one day, him and his wife and their children, and got down to sharing the gospel with him. And we got to that point of salvation, and I asked him if he would call on the Lord Jesus Christ to save him. He says, I don't think I can. I said, why? He said, I'm just too bad of a guy. He had tears streaming down his cheek, and his wife wanted to be saved, and she was, she was begging him to get saved with her that night. And he said, I'm just too bad of a guy. I don't deserve salvation. And I looked at him and said, none of us deserve God's salvation. But God died for the ungodly. God died for the sinner. God paid the penalty for your sin. And what a time of rejoicing it was to see him finally surrender his heart that evening and get on his knees and call out to the Lord to save him in faith. He thought he was a bad guy. He thought he was a rough guy, but he wasn't too bad for the Lord to save him. And you think about that individual that you know, that you wonder if they'll ever get saved. 
Will they ever uh, turn? Listen, don't ever give up on them. Don't ever quit praying for them. Don't ever quit uh, reaching out to them. None of us are good enough to save ourselves. None of us are bad enough that we can't be saved. And number three, never give up on that person that you think they'll never get saved. We've probably all been there with somebody, right? I don't know if they'll ever get saved. A couple examples in the church I grew up in. I had a lady sit in the second row. We had just two sections in our church, and she sat in the second row uh, uh, right up here in the front. And every Wednesday night, she'd raise her hand and pray for her husband, Charlie. Pray for Charlie to be saved. Pray for Charlie. I heard that all my life. From the time I was a little boy, when I saw her, I knew what she was going to pray for. Pray for Charlie to be saved. We had another lady that sat maybe uh, two-thirds of the way back on this side. Pray for Herb, her husband. And at that time, I remember her talking one night that she had prayed for him every day for 55 years. Herb was mean. Herb was a drunkard. Herb would beat her. And yet she would pray and pray and pray. And in those senior days of Herb's life, somehow he turned his heart to the Lord Jesus and humbled himself. And he received Christ as his Savior. He was a changed man. Somehow in the senior years of Charlie's life, he turned his heart to the Lord, received Christ as his Savior. In fact, I had the privilege of being home not too long before he died. He told me, he says, listen, if, if your dad dies before I die, you've got to preach my funeral, and you've got to tell those people that I truly got saved. And I said, I would do that if that happened. And, and, and it was these guys that you would never think. How many of you have somebody like that in your life? You've just been praying for them for years. Don't give up on them. Listen, these are people that you would never think. This is a man that you would never think that would turn his heart to the Lord, and yet they did. And I'd encourage you to never give up. So none of us are good enough in ourselves to earn our salvation. None of us are bad enough that we can't be saved. Never give up on that person you think will never get saved. And then finally this evening, let God do what he has to do. This took some difficulties in the life of Manasseh, didn't it? Second Chronicles chapter 33, verse 12. And when he was in his affliction, he besought the Lord his God. And he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. I can remember praying for some people through the years that they'd get right with God. And I was praying that the goodness of God would lead them to repentance. That they would recognize how good God is. But sometimes it takes the... The judgment of God, the, the, the difficulties and the, the hand of God upon them in a difficult way to bring them to the Lord. I wasn't there when this happened, but in our church in New Hampshire, we had a family, a good family in the church that had a son that was a paraplegic. And I didn't know him. I had not met him in most of my years there, but I'd heard about him. And then at some point, he started coming to church, and I got to meet him. Uh, we began to have him over our house. I'd go to his apartment. They'd build an apartment for him in their basement, and, and I'd go. We'd play games together. We'd have him over our house. I started doing discipleship studies with him. 
And I asked him about when he got saved. He said, I got saved right after my accident. He was driving a car entirely too fast one night, entirely too late on one of those curvy New England roads and crashed his car and and, uh, probably was not handled correctly by some of his friends pulling him out of the car and it probably where he became a paraplegic during that time and pulled him out of there, was rushed to the hospital. And I don't understand the whole thing, but they had him in some type of uh, uh, procedure where he he was literally hanging upside down. They had him in some type of a contraption in this hospital room for his, all of his injuries, and he was hanging with his head at the floor. And my pastor, who I went to work with, went into that hospital room and crawled on the floor and laid down next to his head and talked to him. And on that evening, in his affliction, he called out to the Lord to save him. Now, it took him a while before he started growing in the Lord He struggled with some bitterness and with some anger. I had the privilege of baptizing him. We had a baptistry in our our platform where you'd lift up this this rug here and there was a trap door and you would go under there and so you had to walk down into the baptistry and and I was down in there and we had two men carry him down in there and we held him there together in his paralyzed body and and I baptized this brother in the Lord. And was able to spend much time with them. And I remember talking to him one day and I said, as I was asking him about his salvation and tell me about it, he said, he goes, I wish I wasn't paralyzed, but if I'm honest tonight, I probably wouldn't be saved tonight if I wasn't. He goes, I was going a different direction. I was rebellious. I was mean. I was hard-hearted. I wanted to fight any believer, any Christian. I was mad at my parents for the rules they had made in my life. And I wanted nothing to do with God until God humbled me and brought me to this low point in my life. Sometimes we see the hand of God on people and we can, we can think, wow, that's hard and that's difficult. But Sometimes we just got to let God do what he knows he needs to do and allow him to work in these people's lives. I'm grateful for a friend like this that could say, I'm glad that God did what he did to me so that he would save me. And so I'd encourage you, let's remember that none of us are good enough to save ourselves. None of us are bad enough or no one's bad enough that they can't be saved. Never give up on that person that you think will never get saved. And then let God do what God has to do in an individual's life. Remember this, God loves everyone. God wants all men to repent. I was talking to somebody the other day about somebody that had done them wrong, and and I don't even remember the whole context of what it was. And I reminded them, I said, listen, remember now, God loves that person. God wants to work in their lives. God's doing some things in their lives. Let God work in those people's lives. Don't be an interference Let's remember God wants to see these people saved as well. So let's not give up on them and let's let God work in their lives. So some lessons to learn from the life of Manasseh, this wicked, wicked king, that he did enough, even at the end, to be saved. It was enough. God was able to save him. We thank God for that testimony, even of a wicked, wicked king.
Father, I pray this evening that you'd help us. We may know of someone in our lives, God. We may be thinking of someone right now that we don't know if they'd ever get saved. And God, help us to be encouraged by a story of Manasseh. Lord, in his great wickedness, Lord, you still uh, were able to humble him and he was able to turn to you. Lord, I pray tonight that we'd be encouraged by this and want to share our faith with those that do not know you and, Father, perhaps have no desire as they seem at this moment. Lord, let us call them out. Let us pray for them. Let us witness to them. Let us share our faith with them continually, Lord. Lord, help us to remember how good of a God you are. Lord, that uh, none of us deserve your, your salvation, and we should be so grateful for it. So, Lord, I pray tonight, if you've worked in our hearts, you touched our hearts about something or someone, that you'd help us to use these few moments of this invitation, God, uh, to do business with you, Lord, in Jesus' name. As our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed as the piano begins to play. If the Lord spoke to your heart this evening, maybe laid somebody on your heart, would you respond this evening? Perhaps you want to thank God for saving you. Don't deserve it. Not good enough. And yet God still saved you.